as we think together about Christ our light. I want to read for you from the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 7, uh, some of the most immortal and powerful and most well-known and well-sung words in all of Holy Scripture, uh, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, as we think about Christ our light and how important it is for us to name our darkness in order for the light to help us and make a difference. And if you would, and if you're able, stand please and come to attention as God's word comes among us. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. The former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually. And there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I wonder this morning as we begin if it would be possible for you to name your present darkness, not out loud, but within your own heart, to be able to verbalize the darkness that is haunting you or bothering you or frightening you today. It might be the darkness of guilt, uh, unconfessed sin. It might be the darkness of grief, some loss that you're still dealing with. It might be the... uh, the darkness of despair, that sense of hopelessness that sometimes ironically comes at the holiday time when we should be the most joyous. The darkness of unanswered prayer. For some of us, that's a struggle. The darkness of pain and illness. Unrelenting, no answers as to why or what the answers might be. What about the darkness of uh, financial burden? the darkness of broken relationships, the darkness of family struggles, the the darkness of habits and addictions that are enslaving you and keeping you from being all that God created you to be and all that you want to be yourself. On and on we could go. We could think about the darkness of loneliness, that sense of separation from God, separation from other people. I maybe haven't named your darkness, but... Maybe I've come close. The prophet Isaiah was uh, very adept at using visual images. And he 
understood the theme of darkness and light in a powerful way. For the people of God had experienced great darkness. They were to be led away into captivity. If you can imagine a nation not over not only overrun by a powerful enemy, but a nation then deported. The enemy overtakes your government and your land, and then the the enemy uh, rubs your face in it by literally deporting you out of your homeland into a land far away that you don't know. And Isaiah graphically pictures in verse 4 what it was like for those prisoners of war, those people enslaved by the invading armies of another nation, He said there was a bar across your back. Imagine, if you will, a a strong pole or rod, and the prisoners were forced to drape their arms over that rod and, and their arms tied together, and that's how they were forced to walk. Now, that kind of that kind of slavery is painful. It is uh, humiliating. It's it's advertising to everybody who sees you goes go go by that that you are a prisoner and you've been overtaken. And it's also very, very uh, confining and, and debilitating. You can't do anything else. And I wonder if that's a good image for the darkness and the slavery that we feel in our lives when things aren't going right. We feel pain. We feel humiliation and embarrassment that this is happening to us. And we also feel that debilitation. That is that because of this darkness, because of this slavery... I'm not free to do those other things that I want to do. And so Isaiah struck a nerve when he talked about a darkness that would overtake an individual and a nation and a people and and just take them away. But remember, uh, these lessons from Isaiah are not just spiritual. They're political, social, and they're economic, the, the devastation and And the the stories of darkness are not just about us. They're about other people around us who are hurting. It's so natural for us in church to personalize everything, and well, we should, about the darkness in our own life. But what about the darkness in our community? What about the darkness of people who are struggling in the Jefferson City area, your neighbors, your friends, people uh, whose lives we touch every week? Uh, you know that in this imagine-if process, our congregation is going through a season of discernment to find God's dream and to dream God's dream for First Baptist Church. And as a part of that, we've done extensive community surveys and studies, and, and we've sort of mined the data that's available out there about our community, the demographics. We've held uh, town meetings and invited community leaders uh, to give their assessment of the community. And uh, at, a, at a recent community assessment at South Elementary School, we had uh, three community leaders on a panel, and we asked them one question to start with. What is for you the biggest challenge for our community? What for you is the, is the greatest darkness, the greatest difficulty? And I want to show you uh, what each uh, of the three panelists listed as the top three problems in Cole County. Hunger. Food insecurity in a, in a county that is far from the poorest county in Missouri. Food insecurity. Do you know that of our elementary schools in the Jefferson City District, four of the, our elementary schools have 70% or more of their students 
on free or reduced lunches, which tells you something about the hunger and food insecurity issues in our community. One other person listed as the first and the biggest problem, behavioral and mental health issues. And they weren't just talking about adults. They were talking about children and youth struggling with mental health issues in our community. And then the other person listed underemployment, working poor. That is people who have jobs, people who maybe have two or three jobs, but they are still living at or below the poverty line. These are not our words. These are the words of people from the community, and we ask them to tell us the truth. Uh, On the school issue, uh, one school, uh, we were asking the leaders, uh, give us your dream of, of of what our community would look like, what your world would look like if things were right. And one school leader said, imagine if, Every child came to school every day, and all she had to think about was school that day. Imagine if a child could come to school that day and just be a kid and not have to deal with adult problems. Well, you see, there's darkness in our world, the kind of darkness that Isaiah so graphically depicted. But it's not, it's not just that, it's spiritual also. Think about all the people in our our community who don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know peace in their hearts. they're, They're empty. There's no sense of purpose in their lives. Think of the people who who want life to be different, but they don't know the power of Jesus Christ to transform life, to give us new want-tos, to give us new desires. And they don't have hope beyond this life. All they can see is just a life of work and then a life of dying, and, and that's all there is. And they don't know about the hope beyond this life. You know, culture has shifted. People used to ask, where do you go to church? Now people ask, why go to church? I mean, that's out there, that mentality. People used to ask questions like, what do you think God is like? Now people are asking, do you really think there's a God? With all the mess in this world, you think there's a God? I mean, that's how culture has shifted while we've been in here singing our hymns and choruses, telling ourselves everything's okay. Darkness lostness. Isaiah graphically drew that picture of darkness. Well, what I'm going to say next is going to sound heretical. So if this is heresy, make the most of it. Darkness actually serves a purpose. I'm not saying it's inherently good, but it does serve a purpose. And here's what I mean. Joseph Sittler once said that uh, he described the germinating nature of darkness. That is, he said, if you wiped out all darkness from the earth, nothing could ever grow. Because germination of a seed happens in darkness. Darkness serves a purpose. I was uh, intrigued by the writings of Gerald May, who wrote a book, The Dark Night of the Soul. And he said that God has to work in darkness. 
God chooses often to work in darkness. He said, for one reason, if God worked in the light of day, we would see it and we would get afraid and we'd try to stop it. If we saw, saw God working in our world, if we could see everything God was doing, we'd panic and we'd, we'd start trying to take control of things. And even if we liked it, we'd start trying to take credit for it. And so God works in darkness. Darkness serves a purpose. I saw Vice President Joe Biden interviewed by Stephen Colbert uh, a month or so ago on Colbert's program. They were talking about the vice president's son's death. Bo Biden died of a brain tumor, brain cancer. And Stephen Colbert was actually asking him on network television, talk to us about how your faith made a difference in your time of trial. And the vice president quoted Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher and Christian, who said, faith sees best in the dark. Faith sees best in the dark. And so, the Israelites, before they could appreciate the power of the light, had to name their darkness. You heard me read this from verse 2 earlier. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, the Revised English Bible translates that, the land of dark death, On them, light has shined. So, before we can really long for the light, we have to acknowledge and name our darkness. And we understand that as Christians, before we can really be saved, we have to understand we're lost. Before we can understand that we need the light of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that this darkness is stubbing our toes and bruising our noses because we're walking around and stumbling in dark. Remember the sinner's prayer from Luke 18? The man prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the beginning of faith when we acknowledge our need, acknowledge our lostness, that we are powerless to make a difference in our own lives. And and that applies to whatever darkness you're experiencing today. Before God can help you, before God can shine light in your world, You have to name the darkness and be willing to acknowledge it. And that makes space for God to work. That makes room for God's spirit to come in and work and shine that light. Now, when God was able to shine that light on the Hebrew people, on the people of God, as as Isaiah describes it in the ninth chapter, when that light shines, it's a wonderful transformation. And I want you to notice that the light did not come because the people finally reached moral perfection. They didn't figure it out out on their own and get good enough for God to love them. God loves them anyway. God loves us anyway. The light doesn't shine when you figure it out. The light doesn't shine when you keep all these religious rules. The light doesn't shine when we keep a checklist of thou shalt nots. The light shines because of God's grace, because God loves us. And we are open and respond to the light. And the light doesn't come 
through a set of rules. The light comes through a person. Verse 6 is probably one of the most quoted in all of the Old Testament. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Don't you just want to start singing Handel's Messiah song of, and the ladies played it as a, as a prelude this morning uh, unto us and the, the children sang it so beautifully. And because uh, grammatically uh, it's a little different than uh, Handel arranged it. Uh, in the old King James it's wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, mighty God. But grammatically most Hebrew scholars believe that there are four couplets, four phrases with two words each. And it's very, very balanced and powerful. And you know, we sing this and we quote this, but we hardly ever talk about what these words mean. Mighty, uh, wonderful counselor. That means God is the master planner. That God can see around corners when we can't see around corners. Isn't that a comfort? That he's a wonderful counselor and guide. Mighty God. That God is our strong deliverer who is victorious over every foe. Did you hear what I said? Every foe, not some foes. Every enemy, eventually, God triumphs over. Everlasting Father. He's our forever Father. He is the Lord of eternity. That means he's in charge of eternity. That means that his constant care is ever available, that he will never leave us, not ever forsake us, that he's not just God, but he's personal and intimate. He cares about our every need. And Prince of Peace. Peace doesn't mean just the absence of war. The Hebrew shalom means wholeness, completeness, all we were created to be, healed. Imagine your soul healed of all that's wrong. Imagine your relationship with God completely restored, nothing wrong. Imagine every relationship that that has struggled or been broken, healed and right. And Jesus is the prince. He's God's leader who will carry all of that out and make it so. Are you willing to step out of darkness into light? See, the seventh verse says that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. You know what that means? That means that God is passionate to make things right in your life and in our world. Justice and righteousness. God's passionate. God, every every moment of God's existence lives to love you and to make things right with you and for you. That God never intended anything but rightness for your life. That God is passionate about that. But what has to happen is for us to make a choice and be willing to step out of darkness, to name the darkness, and to trust Him and to step into that light. So here's the takeaway for this morning. Whatever darkness you're going through, don't let that darkness have the last word. Whatever darkness you're going through, don't let that darkness have the last word.
last uh, Thanksgiving, just a few weeks ago, part of the weekend we had all of our grown children and all of our grandchildren at the house. A lot of fun. And uh, one particular night, uh, our five-year-old grandson was sleeping downstairs with his parents. And uh, they tell me that he woke up in the middle of the night, disoriented, didn't know where he was, not a familiar place, and it was particularly dark in our lower level. And uh, Joel said he, the five-year-old woke up, kind of looked around, and then he reached over in the dark and he felt his dad's face. He felt his dad's beard, felt the contours of his face, and then Finn just sighed, pulled up the covers, rolled over and went back to sleep. All he needed in the darkness was to know that his father was there. He didn't have to see him. He just felt the contours of his face. And somehow, faith sees in the dark. And if we can just reach out and experience the touch of the Father, that will somehow get us through until the light shines.